Hey everybody, welcome to uh, a new day and a new season. Before we jump in though, uh, we are going to take just a few minutes to kind of update all of our listeners on kind of where we are, what's going on in our churches and what's going on in our area. Of course, as many of you know, and many of you have experienced alongside us and even two degrees significantly worse or maybe not as bad as our areas did. We have just experienced Hurricane Harvey and all of the things that come along with that, flooding, and uh, we've been gutting out homes for two or three weeks. And it's, uh, has it been two or three weeks? I guess it has. Yeah, I think three um, weeks. So we, we just kind of wanted to acknowledge that from the jump and to think about uh, those of you who've been affected who are listening. We talked on the phone the other day, probably our biggest amount of listeners per capita comes from our friends down the road at First Baptist Church Loeb uh, between Lumberton and Beaumont, and they took on a significant amount of water, several feet, and they're almost cleaned out. They've got it going really good, but we want you guys to know specifically that we love y'all, we're thinking about you, and we hope that this will be encouraging for you today. So Jared, kind of update us on, I know uh, Kuntz, we, we're doing real good here. I'll just say that. We, we had about probably 10 to 15% of our community that was affected by the flooding, and uh, the churches, the homes that are represented by our church have been cleaned out and a lot of the community churches as well. Uh, but update us on Vider because I know the flooding was significantly worse there where you serve. Yeah, and the numbers I've heard are anywhere from 50 to 70%, depending on who you talk to, of the homes in Vider got some sort of flood damage anywhere from you know two to three inches. And then there were some houses that had six and seven feet of water, just depending on what neighborhood you were in. And so we're just about finished with our immediate church family cleaning out all the houses. I think probably half of our church family uh, got flood damage. And so we've just been tearing out walls and insulation and tearing out floors. And I think we're just about finished with the folks in our church family. And then we're going to try to start moving into the community and helping more folks um, outside of of just our church walls. But, you know, I, I know like everybody else in the area, everybody's we're tired and I know that there are days and moments where you just feel so bogged down in the work, but um, I posted this on social media the other day. I woke up and was reading in Galatians. I think it's in Galatians, you know, let us not grow weary in the work of doing good. Um, and it's it's easy to do in situations like this. And that's why we've got to be so adamant and vigilant that we wake up and spend time with the Lord first, because we can't just get out there and swing hammers and let that, because there's there's a spiritual aspect involved when you're at somebody's house tearing out their home and throwing away their belongings. There's certainly some emotional and spiritual stuff involved. So uh, just want to encourage our friends in the area. Let's not grow weary. Let's do the best we can, not just cleaning out homes and stuff, but praying with people, sharing the gospel as we have opportunities. And um, I just know that from the donations and the love and the generosity and the volunteers, Man, Jesus people are shining like diamonds yeah. in all this mess. It's been encouraging to see that happening, even in the middle of this mess. Our friend, Dr. Scott Moody, who is the pastor of Life Restoration Outreach in the Kirbyville area and also assistant professor of preaching at Luther Rice College and Seminary, I just read his Twitter bio, so shout out, <laughs> shout out to Dr. Moody. You know a yeah, lot about I just, him. I keep, I keep Brother Scott's bio memorized and unlocked. his resume in your wallet. Um, I think it was actually Mrs. Lori, his wonderful wife, who tweeted and a link to the sermon, one of the sermons he preached after the storm that um, I was trying to look up actually the sermon title, but basically it alluded to natural disasters and things like this bring out, uh, show us the the worst in the world and the best in the world. Yeah. 
and just talking about the fact that the world is groaning, creation groans, sin is a reality, yet at the same time, it brings the people of God, just like you said, to shine bright. Uh, so I would encourage you, maybe if you need that encouragement to go listen to that message, because Brother Scott always brings a good word. But uh, man, pastors, ministry leaders, everybody who's in the middle of this still, just like Jared said, don't lose heart, continue to move forward, continue to love well. There, there has been a lot of good that we have seen come out of this. Communities coming together, churches working together. We, here in Kuntz, we, um, you know, I think it's pretty much documented that uh, the church that I pastor is a non-traditional church plant, and by that, that's the nice way to say we were a church split. And um, just to see even First Baptist, where the original group, uh, handful of folks, it's a significant handful of folks, several years ago that started this church just to see our two churches working together and coming together. And my friend, Brother Daniel, is the pastor there, just to see us all arm in arm together serving our community. Uh, Even that, to me, uh, you hate to see tragedy and the things that we see going on, but God is at work. And that's one of, you know, really hundreds of stories across Southeast Texas that God is using this for the good of the gospel and the good of his kingdom. So keep it up. And we are praying with you and for you, friends in Southeast Texas. I mean, we're right in the middle of it too. And so uh, we're all praying for each other. And I would just say, as we've already said, keep up the good work. But also, man, doesn't mess like this make you long for the day that Jesus just comes back and sets all this mess right? Yeah, Uh, definitely. I I think it came from Lord of the Rings where, uh, I know, nerd alert where <laughs> sorry sam was and we were trying to be super super serious during this open but you brought a lord of the rings reference and i had to give you the side eye sam and gandalf are talking and and i've you know obviously tolkien was a christian but the point is that jesus is going to come back and make all the sad things untrue and i just love the way that's phrased there and yeah junk like this just it makes I don't me remember if that's that tolkien day. or lewis um, is that narnia or is it oh, lord of the rings i'm going lord of the rings I'm going Narnia. I'm going Narnia. All right. You said Gandalf, I say Aslan. All right, hang on. I'm going to Google it. So there's (laughs) going to be a break. Hey, we're not editing this stuff, y'all. This is live. Well, it's not live. It's recorded, but I'm going to be lazy. Sad Sad things become untrue. Sad things untrue. Okay, listeners, make your bets now. Is it Aslan or Gandalf? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Eschatology in the Lord of the Rings. Oh! All oh, year from three-point land. Oh! Woo. He shoots his goals. I'm just going to go back to you being a nerd. <laughs> Never mind. So, Never mind. We're editing all that out. No, we're no, leaving it in. <laughs> and so having said all that, we uh, for the rest of this episode, we want to be a bit of a respite, a bit of a distraction for half hour or so. Uh, Southeast Texas and ministry leaders, wherever you are, we love you and we're praying with you and for you. Um, And Harvey will not prevail. While this intro music plays, I'm going to look up the word respite. Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to One Hour a Week, a 30-minute ministry podcast. I'm Jared Hollier. He's Rusty Mott. Oh, yeah. Just got a good sip of that coffee. And Dark th- roast. This is season two, episode one. Can it, you believe we got picked up for a second season? It's incredible. When the network called and said, hey, 
We don't even know who you guys are. Thank you for the email, though. Y'all can continue to do this voluntary show that you're doing for free yeah, if you want to. We don't care. My heart care. skipped a beat. My heart skipped a beat. So thanks to our listeners. Thanks to our sponsors, uh, Mott's Hardware in Downtownsburger, <laughs> Texas. I don't know if that's an official sponsor. I don't know. We got to talk to we your dad. We should be wearing TKC hats and carrying big pocket knives. I totally would. If they would just give us 100 bucks a month. I would wear nothing. We could probably record a live show from the knife show that's happening in October. That might that might be randomly to hand out some stickers. I'll talk I'll talk to Marvin about it. That's my dad. I just dropped first name reference to my dad. What's his middle name? He will never listen to this anyway, so it doesn't matter. What's Marvin's middle name? I don't know if he wants me to say that. I was just hoping it was Bartholomew. No, it's not. No, it's not MMM. Oh, okay. I think it's Keith, but I'm not actually sure. Is not that sure bad? What your dad's middle name hey, is? Hey, listen. <laughs> How do you not? I don't refer to my. You know what is? You know what his real name is? What is it? Dad. Oh, Dad Mott. You can't see this, listeners, but I just rolled my eyes so hard. I think I pulled a muscle. <laughs> You should probably Dad. get that checked out. <laughs> just shows how out of shape I am. <laughs> I pulled a muscle rolling my eyes. It's been a while since you've been reading, just moving your eyes that much. Season two, episode one, one hour a week. Thanks for hanging in there with us, and we are glad to be back. We were supposed to be back a week earlier, but of course the hurricane hit and messed that up. Stupid hurricane. Special guest, Harvey. What Ugh, a jerk. What a jerk. Uninvited guest to the podcast. Like an Alanis Morissette song, uninvited. Anyone? Anybody? Cricket sound effects there. Well, anyways, welcome so much, and uh, thank you. <laughs> welcome so much. I don't know, man. What are we talking uh, about today? We Mr. are going to be talking about something that I think is one of the most important, and I will just say it this way. I think it is the most talked about, discussed, yet also misapplied and not lived in truth of all of Christianity. And that would be the grace of God. And I know what you're thinking. Every Christian would say that is near and dear to them. But one thing I've discovered in my life and in the life of the people that I get to do ministry alongside and with on a daily basis is that we talk a lot about grace we sing a lot about grace. We even know a lot about grace, a lot of theological truth, yet I don't know that we really live in and understand grace on a practical, what I always like how Paul Tripp says it, a street level, mm-hmm. like when it gets real hands and feet time, are we living in the grace of God? And what does that look like? So that's what we want to spend a few minutes talking about today. And part of that is when we talk about this, I feel like Every other episode, this comes up, but we're such a a productivity-driven culture, and even us as individuals, we've talked about off-air, is that how we refer to this, all the yes. time, that that grace flies in the face of self-accomplishment, right? Yeah. Well, it's not very it? American. Do you remember when President Obama said, you didn't build that? <clears throat> yeah. And and Southeast Texas gave a collective bleep you. People went like, crazy. They were nuts, yeah. mad about it. And even me, like that flies against... And, and I'm not saying that he was right in that sense, but I'm saying just as mad as people got on like a politically a political national level, you move that over because that is the doctrine of grace in the spiritual realm. So yeah. we're not trying to make a political statement. Please don't send us those emails. And right. if you do, it's uh, Pastor Jared at Peconic. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But when you move that over to the spiritual realm, the same offense that, that we felt then and that people in our region felt when President Obama said that, when you say you are not good, you're actually right. awful, yep. and there is nothing good in you. In fact, even the most righteous 
first things you do, as the book of Isaiah says, are as filthy rags, dirty laundry before the Lord. We just naturally have something that rises up against against that and says, no, I'm a pretty good guy. Yeah, I hit that nerve a little bit last week. I was preaching in Job 1 and brought up the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And my answer was, there's no such thing as good people. You know, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. And so, yeah, people just bristle against that. You know, I'm a a self-made man. I'm a uh, self-accomplished whatever. And we like to hang our hat on our accomplishments. But spiritually speaking, even the good we do is Jesus' grace at work in us and through us. It's not us doing it. Yeah, so when you talk about grace, to really understand grace, the first thing you've got to understand is how terrible you are. (laughs) Yeah, what a great place to start. Honestly, you have to realize the depths of your depravity. And I'll just say this. For me, the moments where I am most aware of Jesus's love for me is when I realize how terrible a person I am. And that's what I think we struggle with because so much of the time we kind of think, well, Jesus got a pretty good deal with me. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Nobody says that. Right. Of course, like nobody says that. Yet we kind of believe that. Yeah. Like, man, you know, I'm doing some pretty good things for Jesus. Like he, he's going to pat me on the back and tell me good game when I get there, right? You know, but the idea is not that Jesus got a good deal when he saved us, that he saw us and he's like, man, that guy can really do some good. So I'm going to save them. But instead he sees the very, very worst in us, the things that no one else knows about, the things that no one else, that you would be horrified for anyone else to know about. Jesus looks that dead in the eye Mm -hmm. and says, I love you. I think it was in that Jared Wilson book, The Imperfect Disciple, where he mentions something along these lines where he said that Jesus doesn't save you because there's something in you worth saving, which we've heard preachers say, well, Jesus looks at you and he sees something. No, God saves us because God is love. And the natural result of his love is that he saves us. So it's not yeah. that Jesus got a deal with us. It's yeah. just out of his grace and mercy, he saves us and keeps us. Yeah. But we don't like to hear that. No, no. We like to think there's something that we did, even though we know that flies. Again, let us just say a lot of you are ministry leaders and some of you that listen to this are good friends of ours that pastor and lead mission organizations. Like we know right now, driving down the road on Monday morning, that you're like, okay, well, they're just going to talk about this. But here's the question we've got for you. At the end of the day, are you living in that grace? Are you really walking in that grace? Do you realize how cruddy a person you are? Do you realize how desperately alone, broken, and worthless you would be without Jesus? Because when you do, that frees you to just let the love of Jesus come into your life like it never has before. So, um, that's what we're kind of after today. That's the heart of where we're going. And to be honest with you, can we hawk a book before we even kind of get to our content a little bit? Uh, Jared and I this summer had kind of some, a renaissance of grace just in our friendship, talking, hanging out. And one of the books that I've read a couple times before, but it had been a long time is, and we actually uh, referenced this book several episodes ago, is The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. You don't have to agree with everything that Brennan says, but if you grab this book and read through it, it will just cause you to think about grace in a radical, radical way and getting real with who you are so you can experience the real Jesus that will come and love you despite you. And this book, uh, we we even told each other like, hey, a year from now, we need to remind yeah. ourselves to read this again. Yeah, well, maybe the most, incur- and it's probably because of the time 
that I read it and the content of the book kind of hit me at the right time, but maybe the most encouraging book I've ever read, Ragamuffin Gospel, Brendan Manning. Get it, and if you can't get it, send us a tweet and we'll get it for you. Faux show. So let's start here. Let's start with this because we jotted down three points that we wanted to talk about with Grace, and let's start with this one. Um, Sometimes we Christians change the rules with Grace before someone gets saved and after they get saved and join the church. And I'll start with Galatians 3, where Paul writes, Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish that having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Um, So the point that he's making here, and the point that I want to bring up, is that very often we tell people you are saved by grace through faith, but then somehow once we're saved, we feel the pressure to perform and to maintain our holiness to some extent by our performance. And when we do that, we we forget and we ignore that we're saved by grace and we're kept by grace and we are uh, we persevere only by grace, that even after we're saved, everything comes back to grace and not works. The, the daily walk, the Christian grind, the moment to moment, even year by year and decade by decade, all of the Christian growth we experience is by grace and not by works. So we're saved for works, but we are not, what's the word I'm looking for? Sanctified. We are not sanctified by our works. We are sanctified by grace for works, not by the things that we do. Yeah. So often I think in our church culture, it becomes saved by grace through faith, but then it's like, now get to work. Yeah. You're saved. Now it's time to to work. And I catch myself trying to live up to my salvation. Like, What's weird is I know, you know, I know even on that street level, heart level, theoretical, theological level, I can't earn my salvation, but God's given me that salvation. So I'm going to try to live up to it. Uh, For example, if somebody were to come in here and hand me $100,000 right now and say, hey, man, I wanted you to have this. The reality is, even though I would never be able to pay that back, I would look for ways to kind of pay that back. Have you seen the episode of The Office where Andy and Dwight start doing favors for each other? And they talk about like, I I hate it when somebody owes me a favor. So throughout the entire episode, they keep trying to one One up up each other. uh, So, because they want them to owe each other, right? you know? And I kind of, as absurd as that is, and you know, there's probably like 12 of you out of the, you know, 40 who will listen, who <laughs> will even know what I'm talking about. That's still pretty good demographic. Yeah, the office of the numbers. Yeah. yeah, the office has a chunk of folks. But uh, but I think I try to do that with God. And yeah. But God is not like Andy and Dwight. God is like, what are you doing? Like, what, you can't pay me back. Don't give me, you know, you don't have to get something off the top shelf for me, man. Like, I'm God. There's nothing you can do to repay me. I'm God. All I ask is that you let me love you. And instead we spend our lives acting like we've got to earn his love, which really flies in the face and really is offensive to the heart of God. We, we make him into a conditional lover. And that's, that's really, think about that. Like if I, if I, do, you know, I know that I've had that conversation with my wife sometimes. I'm like, well, you know, you, you know, if you, um, you know, gain, gaining weight in the last four or five years, like, man, I tell you what, if I was this size when we were dating, you would have never dated me. And she, I'm talking, she'll get, PO'd. Like, she's like, what, what do you think, who do you think I am? 
Like, do you really think I'm that vain? Do you really? So I was like, okay, never mind. Can you make me a sandwich? I'm hungry, you know? Uh, but in those moments, like that is like a microcosm compared to the God who gave himself for you, not because of you, yet you're constantly like, well, he's not gonna love me if I don't do this. Right. Think of how offensive and how, when I say offensive, how that just much must hurt the heart of God to not let him love us just the way we are right now. And in response to that love, that's when we begin to change. And we do it to ourselves. We put that pressure on ourselves, but sometimes we also are guilty of putting that pressure on other people, Mm -hmm. Um, church members, friends, where we have good intentions and we're trying to say the right things. Because it is true that uh, you're a new creation in Christ and so your life should reflect that. But the things we do are a response to grace. They're not the way that we get God's favor. Yeah. I feel like I'm saying this in a very confusing way. We, we work because we love God and because he loves us. He doesn't love us more when we behave. He doesn't love us less when we misbehave. He just flat loves us. And there's nothing we can do one way or the other to affect his love and grace toward yeah. us. But we, we put the pressure on ourselves to perform. And sometimes in the way we live and talk to our friends or even the sermons that we preach, we put a pressure on people to perform and it's unintentional a lot of times, but it happens where we say things and we do things and we even structure our churches and our, our organizations and whatever. And we put a pressure on people to perform instead of just freeing them to do the best you can and revel in the grace of Jesus. Yeah. Realizing that it doesn't, it doesn't matter, not that it doesn't matter how we live, but in a way it doesn't matter how we live because he just loves us and our performance doesn't change that. Yes, and there is a call to holiness in the the Bible, but I think we get the method of attaining that holiness wrong. Like you said, we don't work to attain that holiness. It is by his grace. So we uh, revel in the love and the grace of Jesus, but as we do that, he begins to literally change us. Yeah, you an illustration I use often is you you don't you can't just hang apples on a pine tree and call it an apple tree. Like the change has to come from the inside out. Yeah. Of course, I said that at a youth camp one time and they were like, apples on a pine tree, then it's a pineapple tree. (laughs) Get out of here, junior high kid. Wow. Uh, So we can't- That junior high kid has now grown up and he is a youth minister listening to this podcast and he's hurt. Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick, (laughs) believe it or not. So he came a long way. Put on good works. I think he actually used that as a point in one of his sermons. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. Are you an, are you a pine tree or are you a pineapple tree? But I also wouldn't know because I don't listen to Stephen Furtick. So point number one about grace is you are saved by grace. You are sanctified by grace. You are kept by grace. And we need to learn to take the pressure off ourselves and the people we serve. And just, we need to be more emphasizing grace, 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 and not performance, performance, yeah. performance. Yeah, for sure. And man, I, I'm terrible at this. Because again, the productivity-driven society that yeah. we find ourselves living in, you are what you put out in the world. You are how people perceive you to be. But at the end of the day, none of that matters. None of that matters. We are just beggars who are in need of the grace of Jesus. So I wanted to bring up Matthew chapter 9, a passage that is mentioned and featured prominently in the Ragamuffin Gospel, but uh, another one of those passages that God just sent at the right time, and it's where Jesus calls Matthew, and he walks by Matthew's the tax collector and says, hey, follow me, and, Jesus, and Matthew does follow him, and then Jesus goes and he's hanging out 
with tax collectors and sinners, and they're hanging out and eating lunch together. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the Pharisees show up and they're like, man, why are you hanging out with these people? Why is Jesus hanging out with all of these tax collectors and these sinners? But when Jesus hears the talk, here's what he says in verse 12 of Matthew 9. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So that sounds very shocking to us when we read it, but the idea behind that is if you, the only way for us to receive Jesus is to realize that we are the sick, that we are the sinners. And until we recognize that, we're not going to be able to do what Matthew did and just leave everything and follow Jesus because we feel like one of the things that brings Jesus to us is all of this crud that we've collected on the table. So Matthew's got his past life and all this stuff. Like we've got all this stuff here. So it's like, hey, this is it, man. This is a, you know, I can't, I can't leave this. But we've got to realize that our stuff, even though we may think it's good things, it's good works, actually we've got a bunch of our sins stacked up on that table. And Jesus says, man, get up and follow me. So we got to realize that we're desperately sick. And even though we're desperately sick, that we are unbelievably and unconditionally loved. And then the response to that, what is our choice? Will we accept the invitation that Jesus has given us? Which kind of brings us to what we talked about during the summer at one point, every single sermon, we, we're we going to just, man, this is why you listen to the one hour a week podcast. <laughs> Write this down. We, we are going to give you the sermon outline that basically should be every single one of your sermons forever. Okay. So Jared uh, actually told me this one Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Like it was right before I preached. We're talking on the phone and uh, I wrote it down on my board and memorized it. So we're talking pre-production. Yeah, fancy. <laughs> Our little meeting pre-production. Uh, and I was telling him that we needed to bring that up. And he's like, I said that? Like, I don't, what? So <laughs> That was really good. <laughs> so we've made a new deal. If I say something profound and great, he has to write it down and memorize it. Uh, that way I can remember it because he owes me one. But Jared, share with us what that outline was. Very simple. And this probably is not original to us by any stretch. No, yes, it is. This is, Jared, is okay. trademark Jared Hollier, <laughs> TM, 2017. TM, if I get it wrong, correct me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll out. But but you were talking, I think you were talking about this, but you were preaching on this I think passage. this passage, yeah. And, uh, and basically what we talked about was that every sermon can come down to three points. And that is recognize the need, uh, recognize the grace, of Jesus and then respond to it appropriately. Need grace response. <clears throat> Need grace response over and over and over. And sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we are the needy. Um, yeah. I know, for example, in this passage, I've preached it before this passage where I want to put the listeners in the seat of Jesus, right? That's what we want to do. We, we say, see, Jesus went to the the poor and the tax collectors and the hungry and the prostitutes and the dirty people. And we need to do that too. We need to go to those people and save those people. And we need to be like Jesus. But really, I think the bigger, more important point here is that dun, 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 news update. There's already, just in, there's already a Jesus. You're not Jesus. We're the tax collectors and the sinners and the hookers and the drug addicts. We're the crippled and the blind and the lame. Yeah. And so, and, and what happens when we try to be Jesus without recognizing that we're the needy is sometimes we end up sitting in the seat of the Pharisees, yeah. you know, turning our noses up at the people who need Jesus most. That's right. So we have to recognize our need, Jesus grace. And then like Rusty already said, the response is just 
embrace, just walk away from our garbage and walk toward Jesus. And then we're sitting at the table with Jesus and telling everybody who comes in, including those religious, obnoxious people, no, there's a seat at this table for you. Like if you will just, you know, take off these outer religious garments that you think make you special, come sit down. Like you, this is an awesome party. This is the best party I've ever been to. You should come hang out. You should come experience the love but of Jesus. But it's so hard to do that because, and, and I've seen this, even in this hurricane response, we've had people in our church whose homes flooded and they lost half of their possessions. And we call them up and they say, no, no, I'm good. You give that stuff and you give that help to somebody who needs it. There's some humility involved. You, yeah. It's it's hard to admit that. And, and another way we've seen it is that so many of the people who are usually the ones we call on to help, now they're in the situation where they have to receive the help. And that's hard to admit. You have to yeah. humble yourself and say, yeah, I'm a mess or I need the help right now. Yeah. And on a spiritual level, it's hard to admit that I'm the crippled, the blind, the lame, the tax collector, the prostitute, because nobody wants to be, and it goes back to our original point where we want to be the self-made man and the accomplished person, the successful person. It's hard to admit, even as a Christian, even as a pastor, that I'm in a position that I need grace. Yeah. So ministry leaders, pastors, friends, brothers and sisters out there listening to this. You're a mess, You're is a mess. what we're saying. But the question I've got for you is, where are you today? Are you religiously posturing yourself? Are you faking it? Are you going through life acting like you've got your stuff together? Because the the tragedy in this is not just that you may be missing out on the grace of God, but in the positions that we are in, we could be leading churches, Sunday school classes, youth groups, and other groups of people to copy us in trying to perform instead of live in the love and grace of Jesus. So let me just encourage you to get real with the Lord, spend some time doing that even today, uh, recognizing your need, but also recognizing that every one of your needs is supplied by the Lord who loves you and cares for you and created you to live in response to his love, mercy, and grace. So do that today and every day. I retweeted this and I have no idea. I don't even know who this guy is. Paul uh, Paul F M Zoll. It looks like he's an Anglican priest, but it popped up on my Twitter timeline and I liked it, so I retweeted it. He said, "The place where God works in my life is where I'm least in control, the most absurd, and the most humiliated and embarrassed." So it just goes right along with it, that. The more we recognize our need in those areas, that's where Jesus is going to be able to work the most. So we got one more point, Jared, roll with it. Real quick, final point here. There is a direct correlation between the extent to which we experience grace and the extent to which we're willing to show grace to other people. Mm. You only are gonna experience grace when you recognize your need for it. So if you're not willing to crawl on your hands and knees before Jesus and beg for a large dose of grace, you're not gonna experience it. And if you don't experience it, you're not gonna show it to other people. So that was the Pharisees' problem. The Pharisees thought they had it all figured out and they thought that they had their um, their bearings were based, you know, their religious bearings and sturdy footing was based on what they were accomplishing by the law. And because they weren't willing to receive grace, they didn't show grace to other people. And they ended up asking questions like, why does Jesus eat with those dirty people? But I've found and experienced in a radical way, especially this summer and Rust, maybe we'll talk more about this at some point, but just like that guy, I just read his tweet and, and like we've been talking already, when we grovel before Jesus and recognize our need, 
and humble ourselves and get a large dose of, of the grace of Jesus, then we're able to look around and realize that everybody needs it. Like, how can I ever be judgmental towards somebody again after I've crawled on my hands and knees to Jesus and recognized the depths of my own depravity and been shown grace in that? How can I hold a grudge against anybody or how can I judge anybody after that? And so there's, there's just this connection between how much grace I'm given and how much grace I'm willing to extend to the people around me. Yeah, for sure. We're all just beggars at the foot of a cross and Jesus takes every single one of us. And the, the way some of you probably heard that said before, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross uh, and Jesus extends that invitation to all who would accept it. So uh, whether you are a Christian or if you happen to find this podcast and you don't know Jesus, can I just tell you, uh, we all need this invitation today. And Rusty, the invitation comes from Jesus. You're a mess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm literally, listeners, I'm looking him in the eyes and I'm reminded It's him, getting very uncomfortable Rusty, in here. you're a mess. <laughs> all is grace. It's all grace. All is grace. Hey, thank y'all for listening. Uh, heavy topic right out of the gate. Season two, episode one. Just, just in case you thought we came to play, this is real, y'all. We are swinging with the full grace of God today. So uh, next week, we are going to be talking about something else. We have no idea. <laughs> what so are we talking about I, I wanted to go ahead and tease the fact that we don't even know what we're going to talk about next week, but we look forward to talking about whatever it is going to be. And Rusty's going to take me to lunch here in a few minutes. So maybe oh, we'll start yeah. a list of topics for season Hey-o. two. And as always, if there's something you want to hear us talk about, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Jared Hollier. I am at bro Rusty Mott. You could even send a tweet to our audio engineer at, is this Pato? Is this Pato? Shoot us an email one hour a week at gmail.com. Actually, the email is our a week podcast. No number one. Hour a week podcast. No one's ever sent us an email. It's actually, been three ever. months. Okay, we're going to stop sending. Well, I think somebody did. Charles Stevens sent us an email. I think you're right. Shout out. Uh, or probably the best and easiest way to get to us is Facebook, one hour a week podcast. On Ladies Facebook. and gentlemen, this is getting real. You got to come in here. You got to come in here, Patrick. Who walked in? This is this is a first, and we got to make this happen rather quickly. But we are recording live today. Wait a second, is at this Pat Cornerstone o? Baptist Church? And Pat in o? walked into our studio, the one, the only. Is this Pat O? Hey, everybody. Pat Overstreet in the house. And we're about to shut it down uh, so he can get to editing on he this He sounded stuff. terrible on the microphone. He's going to have to audio engineer that. Yeah, he's going to have to he, adjust those levels. I'm going to put a whole speech in. <laughs> just, <laughs> hey, everyone, it's Pat. And then it's just like 10 minutes of Pat talking. So, All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for listening. And um, anything else we need to say? That's it. I think we're done. Drop the mic. Drop the mic.